You are listening to the weekly Great Governance podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. We are in conversation with Professor Mark Vermeulen from the Netherlands in Tilburg, and we are sharing the work about the social profit canvas now on this platform. We look at practitioners and we try and steer away from academic and theories and look at practical solutions. So welcome on this podcast, on this platform, Mark. Yep, thanks. Mark, tell us about yourself and the work that you do in the Netherlands and here in South Africa. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a professor of sociology at uh, TIAS, which is the business school of Tilburg University in the Netherlands. And one of the special things for TIAS as a business school is that we always have been serving the non-profit sector also. So business schools, obviously, uh, they have a large audience into the profit and the businesses, but we also have been working for non-profits, doing that already for 40 years or something like that. So I joined the school 20 years ago. And that was in the days that it was really still new public management. So people were looking at, at a non-profit hospitals, schools, public sector as, as a kind of a company that you should run like a company. And we were very critical about this concept, being in the business school, mind you, and that we even maybe because we were in the business school, we said a non-profit organization is not a cookie factory. It's, it's something completely different and you should develop your new concepts, better concepts, and not just borrow from what's happening in the, in the companies. So that's basically my work. I'm teaching uh, people about specifically methodology to show how you can be more explicit about the value you create in the public domain. That's one of the things I'm doing in South Africa as well. I, I think now for five or six years, I'm an honorary professor at Stellenbosch, the School for Public Leadership. And yeah, Corona is like a complicating thing in this, but I've been teaching, doing some workshops, etc., on public value management, public value elaboration, basically. That's my background. Okay. And you've come up now with the idea of the concept of a social profit canvas. Yeah. How did this come about? Yeah, there was a kind of coincidence in, involved. Uh, basically Basically, we at Diaz were very much inspired by work of uh, Harvard professor Mark Moore. Uh, he's in the Kennedy School of Government in uh, Harvard University. And he developed uh, public value models, public value triangle and public value scorecard. But working with it and teaching him with it in our school, we discovered quite soon that it was kind of high over, not concrete enough, and also pretty much based on the American situation. So we were kind of struggling with it. People were inspired by the concept, but they were struggling when they had to apply it in practice. And then one day, and it was really kind of coincidence, that I was talking to a colleague of mine, and he mentioned kind of coincidentally that he did a lot of work with the business model canvas from Oswald and Pigure. And I didn't know that model because I'm not working in the business model. So he explained to me in business model canvas is a model we use in Western Europe very often to start up your firm. And it's basically, it's used, for instance, by banks. If you want to get some form of funding or, or a loan, then they ask you, have you already put onto paper a canvas? That's, that's the idea. And it's very intuitive. It's like nine questions you have to answer before you can start a firm. So, and when I had a look at this business model canvas, I said, yeah, that's something we could use in the public domain as well. So basically what we did, and it sounds simple, and it was a lot of work and a lot of research involved, but we integrated this idea of the public value management by, uh, by Mark Moore, 
from America. We combined it with the business model of Canvas, which basically was developed in the Netherlands and in Switzerland. And it ended up to be a kind of a one-page schedule. A Canvas, it's kind of a thing that you can put on the table when you have breakfast. A placemat type of format, addressing 11 questions that you should ask yourself when you are working in the public domain and when you want to establish value and impact. Okay, can you explain to us the concept of public value? In the book, you say, alles von Waarde is weerloos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you explain the concept of public value? The thing with public value, so the value schools create, or hospitals create, or social housing creates, or whatever, is that the value occurs not in the hands of those who are investing. What you typically will see is the money is put on the table by public administration, maybe churches, and they do it for themselves. They do it for the bigger good, for the society at large. So you can't see a direct relation like you see it in a company, where you put money in the company and you see the the productivity of the company and you get it back in forms of money or whatever. In public domain, that's much more complicated. And it may be so that maybe other people benefit from, for instance, healthcare, maybe the healthcare of mothers, uh, then maybe other members of the family benefit from it. So it's not a one-to-one relation with a person may take it quite a while before you see the impact. Uh, if we invest in education, in primary education, it, it may take 10 or 12 years before you really see what happened to the kids when they start working. So this direct link between output and investment is in the public domain much more complicated than in the private domain. Mm. And because this direct link is, is so complicated, people have a tendency to over estimate the costs because that's what they see directly yeah? you see it in the budget you put money in it and you have to, to pay subsidies etc and the benefits standing against the cost a long time away in other in other sectors maybe not even if, uh, and for that idea the value becomes very fragile because people are saying i'm not seeing the value right now and you you tell me that there is a value but when do i see it yeah you have to wait 10 years or it is in the next generation or so then this value becomes vulnerable if there are budget costs, cuts, and obviously you know them in South Africa, we know them in, in Europe as well, different dimensions, but again, and then typically what happens is that people say, okay, how much money can we save by getting away money from schools or hospitals? Because then we, at the cost side, we can cut back the budget. And because you don't see the direct impact, I mean, if you in a firm that cut the costs, you maybe directly see that you have to close a factory or that you have to fire, that you are not making money anymore at that factory. And that's the reason why alles van waarde is weerloos. It was a famous line in a Dutch poet, a very uh, important poet, that you say, yeah, the weerloos has, so that the vulnerability of the value in the public domain is big. And we have to make a better story to help this value get stronger, better protected, and that's that's basically what we try to do. We try to be more explicit about the value we are producing by these public initiatives. Mark, if you look at the model, the social profit canvas, is it currently being applied in organizations in the public sector in the Netherlands? There are quite a number of different examples. And we did a lot of piloting. We did it in the welfare sector. We have a very nice pilot in a special needs education uh, school. Two weeks ago, uh, I was uh, working with a group of people who are in the arts sector. So they are they would 
the managers of Musea and concert groups, etc., etc., also always struggling with the idea uh, that we need money to, sh to make music or to play or whatever. And what actually do we produce in return for this money? And what you typically see is that those guys, they tend to go to economic science and then they run into the mist because the economic science doesn't really help. So we have quite interesting examples of things that shift. I think the special needs example is an interesting there was a school who put very severely handicapped kids, young kids, into a more or less regular school. And those very severely handicapped kids, they didn't get any education, they just got care. Ooh. And what turned out, what happened was that although those kids were really, really handicapped, there was some improvement in their behavior. But obviously, it was a kind of a crossover operation from the health system to the educational system. Budgets had to go from one side to the other side. And people were asking themselves, why bother? Is it worth doing all this work? And that was fascinating to address that question with the, with the social profit canvas story. Maybe one of the most convincing arguments coming out of it, that part of the canvas is also the legitimacy of what you're doing. Yeah? Is it by law? Is it by, by moral standard or whatever? And what we could show to those people who were looking in health, because there, there was a kind of reluctance on, on that side of the, of the picture. You say, yeah, guys, by the way, you are violating the European Kids Treaty that says no matter what happened to a kid, all children have right to education. And basically what you don't do is giving those children education. And then that kind of changed their perspective. So it is often, it's kind of a, an eye-opening exercise because it, what we really try to do is on one hand, be very concrete, low threshold, easy accessible. And on the other hand, very systematic. So people really have to address all the questions, eh, all that, and there are 11 questions. And then they get the full picture and that very much helps. We work in municipalities. Mm -hmm. Do you think that municipalities in South Africa could benefit through this model, like you're applying that in Europe? Yeah, well, as you know, we have been looking to, for instance, the economic support of starting firms in uh, townships. Interestingly enough, I mean, you have the logic of what you're doing, eh? you're bringing people in and you, you give advice and maybe a little bit of money, etc. But then the interesting part that we found out and we are still working on, we're going to publish on it, that maybe on one hand, the capacity is a problem that you say, are you the right persons to help those entrepreneurs, those starting entrepreneurs, and maybe a civil servant because he is in the civil service, he is in the public administration, he or she, maybe not the best person to be a kind of an advisor to a starting entrepreneur, because that's kind of a different cup of tea. Uh, and the other thing was that from the research that we were looking at, you see that a lot of entrepreneurs, they start a kind of combination of real legal stuff, uh, but they also hustle a little bit, etc. And then the interesting thing is they need this period of not maybe paying all the taxes and doing all the stuff officially. They need that as, as a kind of a learning environment to start their firm, to get a grip on what they are doing. So that's from the perspective of the development of the business, there's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, you must pay your taxes, etc. But you can understand that people for a while need a little bit of extra leniency in terms of business, etc. But then that's interesting. That's very complicated to do a thing like that within a municipality. That you say, okay, we are helping you, and then you start your own firm. Oh, yeah, and by the way, in the first two years, you're avoiding the taxes. You get a legitimate problem and that kind of dilemmas or issues or concerns can be very well identified by the model and also i think that if you for instance running an organization already like case radio we, we, we had been talking uh, just a few days ago about kc radios okay over time things shifted 
And what happened to the to the capacity that you need? Uh, what happened to the target group that you are aiming at? If you include social media, if you include, uh, you started off as the radio station, and now you're changing to a kind of a multi-platform station or intervention, and then you get other people involved and you need other capacities. And that type of evaluation, that's something you can do very nicely with the social profit campus. Okay. Can you just take us briefly through the 11 steps that, that a person or organization would go through using the social profit canvas? Yeah, I'm not going to explore all the 11 questions. Basically, the, the idea is that you have a kind of a mainstream logic in the model, and which goes, it starts with an intervention. Something changes, you are starting a new working practice or you put uh, new legislation or whatever, some form of an intervention, a project. Yeah. And then uh, the first step is that we are asking what actually is the the very direct result of this action well the direct result of this action is that we have half an hour of media exposure in an interview okay that's fine and then the next step is what would be the outcome of this direct result what actually is your aim with so well we are trying to educate people but maybe not also people that, that weren't online when we were broadcasting, but also other people and people can share it and they can talk about it. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, so that's the second step. And then the third step is, what does it do for society? Do you have some ideas? So yeah, well, this should help to emancipate people and to bring them to a more better living or whatever. Okay, so, so that's a chain of steps from a result to an outcome to impact. Yeah. Going to the other side, say, okay, who is involved? Yeah, well, an interviewer and then the guy who was interviewed and maybe the 10 people listening to the interview, okay, or 100 people. Okay, it's interesting. And then the next question would be, how are those people connected to social systems that are relevant for societal change? Are they part of the political system? Are they part of a church? Do they communicate within the church about what they heard in the podcast? So that's not so much on the what is produced, but on who are you targeting? Who is your audience? That's the line. That's the basic line. Yeah? And then we put this basic line basically in a context, and that's where work of the, the American guy comes in, the Mark Moore guy, saying basically asking four questions. And the first big question is, how does it fit in your mission? Why are you going to do this? Do this? Uh, what's your view on the world? That may be both on an individual level, right? so the guy doing the interview, how does this idea of this interview fits in his idea of his professional ethics, for instance, but also on the level of an organization? What's your mission state? Uh, how does it fit in? That's one. The second one is, do you have the right staff to do it? Are you capable of doing it? Maybe if you shift from a radio station to a multimedia station, then you need uh, probably guys and girls who are very competent and are doing all kinds of online stuff. By tradition, the, the role of journalists changes because people are bringing the news now to you. They don't, journalists tend to go out and find news and now you get the news on your doorstep. So the capacity, the professional capacity changes. So for the second big question is, if this is the intervention, if this is project you are doing, do you have the right staff, the right capacity, the right infrastructure? The third one, bigger question is, why you? Are there any other groups or persons or competing initiatives or, or initiatives that you can, could very well hook up with? And they say, well, it's, it's wonderful that we do that, but we really, really need to invite other people. And when we were looking with those special needs kids, completely clear that we needed, at some stage, we need educationalists and healthcare people. And obviously they started fighting, started asking, oh, so we needed to kind of balance out this cooperation between those two sectors. So this, this is the third block chunk of questions is about who do you need? Which other persons or parties within the network, within the chain are important to be successful? 
And the final big chunk is how about the legitimacy of what you're doing? Is it done by law? Is it based on the rule of law or is it by, based by moral standards? And what happens if the moral standards change or if there is a new government bringing new legislation? Is your complete project then, then gone or where do you need to reframe? And that's basically how it looks like. So they are like, I, I haven't been looking at my three minutes, about 11 questions to ask yourself, your project changes or if you start a project. Typically, how long, if an organization, a municipality has got a project that it wants to take through this, how long will a typical process like this then take? The funny thing is maybe only 15 minutes. People, that that's the first step is that people have a look at the schedule. And I think we can explain it pretty because it's only a one page. And they already get a first grips of okay, this is an issue that we didn't address. Uh, we have covered this, 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 and this, but maybe the capacity issue, that's a blind spot. Obviously, we really try to make it kind of intuitively. It's basically the same with the business model canvas. Like in a few minutes and kind of a first glance, you already see, okay, this is what I'm missing. I haven't put enough time. And then you start working. And I mean, and then it can take maybe a day, maybe a month, uh, because you have to dig out and rephrase and, and, and re- yeah reposition maybe the idea is that at the first glance you already get a get a grip of we are missing something something or we are not missing we covered all the important points and maybe we should double check but basically all the all the important issues have been touched upon so it's a methodology to yeah. help clarify your planning around a project or to yeah. relook at your organization using a framework to evaluate what it is that you are doing am i right yeah, yeah, yeah. And dedicated to the public domains in the sector where the relation between input and output or between cost and benefits is much more complicated than in the private domain. So you need to have a better understanding, a better story, a stronger story to say, okay, if we do it like this, at the end of the day, may take a while, we will go to that impact. Yeah. And you also say, you know, Mieten is Vieten. It's also a way to measure them. Yeah, yeah. Way. Yeah, because one of the applications that you can do is that you can't see it as a risk analysis. It's okay, where is the blind spot in our plan? What is the weak part in our plan? And then specifically in those weak or, or vulnerable things that you say that's so the risk of failure is, is the largest in this specific issue in this specific in this legitimacy that's where you need to put your effort in measuring and, and getting information so maybe it also helps and that's the the experience we have it also helps to focus where you are measuring what you typically see is that organizations throw around a lot of kpis the more the merrier and people get completely well they get kind of lost in the world and in the woods of KPIs. And this may really help to say, okay, part of, part of it is completely clear. We have a good confidence that this is going to work. Two or three issues are maybe crucial for failure and success. Let's put our energy and our effort and our measurements, our information system. Let's put it over there. So what is next for you? You'll be visiting South Africa in 2022. Yeah, we hope to be back in 2022 in, uh, in February, probably. Because obviously through Corona, we have been working, Arlen, you and I have been working on it and uh, online, but we really want to come down. Uh, we are working on an English translation of it now, and we are working on South African cases, a number of cases, together with colleagues. So to have good South African type of examples, kind of cooperation, you are involved, Professor Erwin Schwella is involved, uh, Mrs. Tony van Niekerk is involved. We have a kind of a small informal team who help us to translate our text, not in a linguistic way, but in more in a cultural and political way to translate the text to the South African context. Uh, and what we really hope to do is that when we are in South Africa, so in February, we kind of can have a workshop type or a discussion type 
to see whether people recognize it, where they have a need for better specification dedicated to the South African context, because obviously that's quite a different context than the Western and European. So it's not going to be a copy-paste action, but we really have to tailor-make it for the South African context. And that's what we want to do in February. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for your time, Mark. To the amazing and talented Great Governance team, audio engineer Bandile Kosa, the voice Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great, right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn.